here's where we're at. We've been in this series. We've been walking through the book of Exodus and really just the story of Moses is where we've been trying to understand Moses and what God has done through him, how we can see God through this story. Now today, I'm looking at this, this bigger picture and I think we could spend a whole year just on the story of Moses and the Israelites and what they've done. And if we were, I think there'd be a couple themes in on this. And one of the themes would be this one today. And that's the theme of just plain old disappointment. Yeah, I, I think that you could, you could take the life of Moses and think of it over and over and over again as a life of disappointment. It just was there. It was a part of who he was and what was going on around him. A lot of good lessons to learn about God in this, but Moses, I mean, he, he grew up in a foster home. Granted, it was a pretty nice foster home, maybe not the character of the home, but the home itself. I mean, it was, it was Pharaoh's mansion. I mean, he grew up in a pretty nice foster home, but still... It was a foster home, right? He was, I think he was disappointed in Pharaoh and the way he treated the Israelites. They weren't treated the best as, as slaves. I believe that he was disappointed in himself for killing an Egyptian. He took it too far. He actually ran away after that, tried to escape and get away. There was disappointment in that. I think he was disappointed in the situation that he then spent 40 years as a shepherd working for his father-in-law. Right? That's probably not the most encouraging thing. Yeah, I work for my father-in-law as a shepherd. And, you know, not something he bragged about, but I think there was a life of disappointment many times throughout that that he was probably thinking, what, what am I doing? Why am I here doing this? I think he was disappointed in Pharaoh when he went back and asked him to release the Israelites, and he didn't. I think he was disappointed again. I think he was disappointed that Pharaoh was stubborn. I think he was disappointed in the fact that God asked him to go do it. He even said, don't ask me. Send somebody else. I don't want to be the one. Somebody else can do this. I think he was disappointed in the Israelites, that they weren't willing to follow. They weren't willing to leave the slavery and to be free. And over and over and over again, he had to convince them that this is a good thing. Being free is better than being a slave. So here's where we're going today. Um, I'm going to jump out of the book of Exodus. We're going to close this series today in the book of Numbers. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Numbers. Um, chapters 13 and 14 is where we're going to spend some time. I'm going to tell you this story, then we're going to go back and look at some specifics with this. Now, let me catch you back up to this. So I'm going to set the stage for where we're at in this story, and this part of the story, and why we jumped ahead to the book of Numbers from Exodus. So Exodus is a story about the Israelites and Moses, and Moses bringing the Israelites out of slavery from Pharaoh in Egypt. So he tells this story, and through Moses being selected, and Moses going back, and the ten plagues, and them leaving the Red Sea, and the Israelites um, walking ahead, the Egyptians following them, and God wiping them out, and providing freedom for the Israelites. Great story. We got through some of that, some time in the desert. Then the book of Leviticus. Um, you see this, Exodus, Leviticus. This whole book is the part of the story where we learn, the Israelites learn how to worship God. They are now free people, but they have to learn how to be free. It just it, They've been slaves for so long, they don't know how to do this. So they need to learn how to be free people and how to worship God. So God is teaching them how to worship him, what to do, how to set up the tabernacle, how to set up a place of worship, how to gather, what to do, how to do certain things in this, how to treat each other. So they're, they're learning how to do life with God and how to do life with each other as free people. This is, this is a great part of the story, and they do this for two years. 
For two years, they're wandering around the desert, learning about these things, and God has them on the edge of the promised land. They're ready to go in. They're, they're um, right there. They're so close, and God's saying, I think it's time. It's time. It's time for you to go in. Two years it took for them to learn to live as free people, and God is ready to take them in. Now, some of you might be thinking, I, I think I remember this story. It wasn't two years, dude. Um, you're wrong. It was 40, right? Wasn't it 40 years? Not two. You're right. It was for you, but the first time it was only two. God was ready. God wanted them to go. He, he was the only thing. It would be two years in the desert with them. They had an opportunity to only spend two years in the desert instead of 40. But they had to trust God one more time. They had to trust him one more time. And he said, all right, trust me. We're getting ready for this. I hope this is the way it goes down. This is what I want you to do. So God talks to Moses. And he says, I want you to pick 12 dudes. The best 12, one from each tribe. There's 12 different tribes that are camping out um, in this campsite right on the edge of the promised land. They're ready for this. And God says, pick your 12 best. Now, special ops guys. These are the guys that know how to act, know what to look for, know what to do. And he says, your best guys, and I want them to become spies. Seriously, this is a cool part of the book, (laughs) the Bible that you get to read. I mean, this you can't make some of this up. This is great. This is spies and special ops guys that are going into enemy territory. They spend 40 days there, 40 days interacting with the enemy, learning their ways, learning their tactics so that they can then go in and win. And God says, I want you to send these 12 spies in and then bring them back out so that you can learn. Um, but I think it's important before, before we jump ahead in the story, you got to know what they were doing. What were these spies all about? What was their mission? Their mission was to understand the enemy. He wanted them to find out specific things. Learn about the people, he says. Find out about the people. Are they big? Are they small? Are they strong? Are they weak? Can you take them? What kind of battle is it going to be? How are you going to match up with them? How many are there? Are we talking millions? Are we talking hundreds? Here, are they big men? Is there a lot of men? Or is it, you know, a bunch of kids? What, are they quick? Are they fast? Are they big and slow? Understand what it's like to fight against them. Watch them. See what you need to do. He said also, check out their cities. Are these big cities or are they small cities? Do they live in tents? Are we going to be able to wipe it out? Or do they have big walls built around the cities? Do they live in big stone houses? What is it? Where do these people live? And how hard is it going to be for us to overtake them? He says this, also check out the land. Is it really what God says it is? Is God telling us the truth or is he just making it sound better than it really is to get us motivated to go? What's going on with the land that we're moving into? Is it really all that it's cracked up to be? Is the ground fertile? Can we plant right away? Are we going to have to work at it? Is it going to be like the desert? Here was one of the things that they asked for, that they were looking for, and I thought this was intriguing. They wanted to know, are there trees in the land? Are there trees there? That means it's been long enough that the trees have grown big. It's not like the desert. We're sick of the desert. There's no trees in the desert. We want to see trees. Maybe when you move into a new neighborhood, if you've ever moved, you look for things like that. Are there trees Are they big trees? How long has this neighborhood been around? That's the kind of stuff that they're checking out. They're wanting to see what's going to happen. So these 12 spies go in, and they come back with a report. Now, two of the guys that come back, they give a really, really good report. They're so excited. They say it is so amazing. In fact, they bring back some of the crops. 
They said, you got to check this out. And they picked, gathered some grapes. I know when April comes home with grapes, she usually says, oh, the grapes are on sale. And she's bought like three packs of them um, because they were on sale. And they're not always on sale, I guess. I don't know. Um, but the grapes were on sale. So we've got a ton of grapes now at our house. These guys brought back grapes, but they had to put it on a pole. They were so heavy. And then one in front, one in the back, each carrying one into the pole as they carried these grapes back to show them. It is amazing. Look at these grapes, how big they grow them over there. This is going to be so great. They said it's the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, it doesn't mean there's streams of honey and waterfalls of milk. It's a metaphor to say it's going to be easy. We won't have to work very hard at this. The ground is going to do most of the work for us. It's green, it's lush, there's trees. The trees are great. Now they get to this point and they say, well, yeah, yeah, the guys are big. They're really big. Um, they're quick. They're fast. They're, they're big. We're really small compared to them. Now get this though. Understand it this way. Here have been a bunch of people that have been living in this promised land for years. They've been eating this good fruit. They've been eating the good um, produce from the ground. And it's been awesome for them. They are big. They are healthy. They're strong. They've grown up in this from generations. And here have been the Israelites. They've been slaves for years. And they've been wandering around in the desert eating manna for the last two. They're scrawny. They're small. They're weak. And they're walking into a land where everybody's strong and healthy and looking good. Of course they're going to say, yeah, they're big, but you know what? This was a report from two of the spies. We can take them. We can do this. I know we can. If God has promised us this land, then we can do it. We're ready. Let's overtake them. We can do it. The other 10 spies, though, they come back and they say, yeah, 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 it's, it's really good land. Um, it's probably better than we deserve, but they're really big. They're really big. There's no way that we can take them. There's no way that we can win. And it's too good for us. It's too, it'd be like, you know, somebody saying, yeah, she'll never go to the prom with me. I'm, never, I'm not even going to ask her, right? She's out of my league. I can't do that. These guys were saying, no, wait, it's too much. Even though it looks really good, they called it this. They said it this way. We're like grasshoppers next to them. We're like these little small bugs. They're, they're just going to smash us if we get into battle with them. We can't do it. So they start spreading these rumors around to all the people. So there's like two, two and a half million people, 12 spies. Two of them are saying good things. Ten of them speak louder. Ten is more than two. So when ten people are talking, you're going to believe the ten. So they start spreading these rumors around camp. And they start telling all the people about how bad it is over there. And everybody just started crying. It says they cried all night long. Not only did they cry all night long, they started to talk bad against their leaders, against Moses and against Aaron. They started to spread rumors against them saying, why did they bring us out here? Wouldn't it have been better for us to die as slaves in Egypt? At least we would have died of old age. Now you're going to bring us out here. We're going to die in a battle by the sword, this is no fun. We, we could have stayed in the desert and died. That would have been better than dying in a battle and being killed by the sword. 
Because now they're going to take advantage of our wives and our kids, and oh, this isn't going to be good. You know what enemies do to wives and kids. This isn't, we don't like this. In fact, they took a vote. They gathered everyone around. They had an election. They voted, and they said, um, we want to go back. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to be slaves again, and we don't trust Moses anymore. We're going to elect a new leader, and hopefully this new leader will take us back faster. We can get there faster than two years. Let's go back to Egypt, and they wanted to elect a new leader. Well, Joshua and Caleb heard all of this, the two good spies, and they said, no, we're not going to have any of this. So they started to talk against all of it. They tried to build it up. They tried to encourage everyone, and they said, no, it's worth it. The land is worth it, and we can do it. If God has given us this, then we can make it happen. Let's go. Don't fear those people. God has rescued us before in impossible situations. He can do it again. We can make it happen. And the people listened. They were listening to Joshua and Caleb. They heard what they were saying and the encouragement they were getting from them. And so they took another vote. And you know what they decided this time? Let's kill them. Let's kill. We can't fire them, so let's just kill them, right? If they're leading and we don't want to go that way, let's just take them out. So they voted, let's just stone them, throw rocks at them until they die. When they voted that way and they decided to kill Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron, God said, That's it. I'm done. I've had enough. I can't take any more of these people. And God said, I'm going to wipe them out. You guys, you don't trust me anymore? Fine, then I'm done with you. I'm going to wipe you out. Well, Moses came back to God, talked him out of it, and God said, okay, I'm not going to kill you now. What I'm going to do is send you back into the desert until a generation dies off. And all of you that are old enough, that know better, whenever all of you are dead, I'll bring the next generation into the promised land. They get to go in. But you guys, not for you. He pulled it from him. He said, you don't get it anymore. The thing I promised to you, you no longer have. One commentator put it this way. He said, and that began the longest funeral march in the history of mankind because a whole generation of people died in the desert and didn't get the promise that God had given to them. So there's a story, okay? There's a story of what happened and the disappointment that came through that. But there's several different levels of disappointment. And maybe you've experienced some of these before. Maybe you've walked through some of these before. But as I look through this story, I think there's some lessons we can learn. And we can see some different things about disappointment. Now, it's not exhaustive. I'm sure there's many books and many different things that have been taught on disappointment. But through this story, I want to see what we can learn from and grow from in this. So here's the first one. Some highlights of disappointment from this story. Number one, the Israelites were just disappointed in their situation. It was just the situation that they were in. They were just disappointed. So let's look at chapter 13, Numbers 13, starting in verse 31. It says it this way. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Later in verse 33 it says, And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. That's what we seem to them. They just weren't happy. They just got to this point and said, 
I'm just disappointed. They weren't blaming anyone at this fault. It was just a situation. It's nothing anybody else had done. Nothing they had done. They're just there. And they're sad. And they're frustrated. And they're disappointed. Have you ever been there? Have you said in the last year, poor me. Have you said in the last week, in the last month, poor me. You can't blame anybody else. It's nothing anybody else has done. It, you certainly don't blame yourself. We don't do that very good either, do we? It's not my fault. It's just life right now. And life just stinks. And I'm not very happy about it. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how I got here. I didn't choose for this. I didn't set this course in my life for me. But here I am. I'm just disappointed. Have you ever had that feeling on your heart? It just settles in there. And you look at Facebook and you think, oh, everybody else is doing awesome. I wish my family did that, right? You, you see their highlights and you compare it to your low times in life. And you're just thinking everybody else is great. And their families are awesome and their marriage is perfect and their kids are amazing. And here I am. And you're just disappointed. Yeah. You just get that way. There, there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing that leads to it. It just settles in on you. That's where the Israelites were. They were just disappointed. They just let that get to them. And God was the one that led them to this land. Almost too good for them. So if you're not careful... If you let this settle too long, this is where it shifts, and this is where it gets bad for us. They shifted their disappointment in their situation to their disappointment in God. And they said it this way. They were disappointed in God. Look at this, verse 2 of chapter 14. It says, And all the people of Israel grumbled. They were grumbling first against Moses and Aaron. That's who they were taking it out on. Um, and we're going to get to them. But they said it this way. The whole congregation said, would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? To fall by the sword. Why did God do this? Why did God allow this? He, did he do this to tease us? Brought us out so we could see and hear about this perfect land? And then let us die? Here's where I think it's easy for us to get to on it. Uh, it. It comes easy to blame God. We can blame God because he doesn't usually argue back with us, right? We can have a one-way conversation with him and it's easy. And we can get mad at God and then we can just walk away from it. And blame God for the bad things in our life and what he's done for us. And he just has to take it. He has to just take our disappointment so we let him have it at times. We we're frustrated and upset that God is the one that allowed me to have this life that I have and how bad it is compared to everybody else's. And so we do. We get frustrated at God. But then there comes a point where we say, okay, God, you're not working with me here. You're not blessing me anymore. So we switch it and we start to choose other people to pick on. And we start to blame other people. So they did it as well. Verse 10 they started to blame everyone else. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. They're talking about Moses and Aaron. 
and Joshua and Caleb. And they said, it's their fault. They're the leaders. They're the one that's brought us out here. Whenever an organization starts to not do the things you want it to do, it's easy to blame the leadership of that and say, you guys are the ones. You're the ones that aren't doing it. You're the ones making the mistakes. We're just the followers. So they started to blame Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. And they wanted to kill him. They just said, that's it. We can't fire you. We'll just kill you. That's the easy way out on it. And maybe for you, you're thinking, oh, good. I've never, I've never killed anyone before in my disappointment. <laughs> right? Good for you. Maybe you've, maybe you've wanted to, but you haven't. You've been so disappointed in somebody that you just wanted to kill them. But you haven't done it. But you know what might be worse? Is not killing them, physically at least. Parents, how many times, how many times have you showed your disappointment in your children to the point where they didn't believe in themselves anymore? How many times have they walked away thinking they're a disappointment? <laughs> it's not just that you're just disappointed with them, it's that they're a disappointment to you because of the words you've said to them. And it may not be that you've killed anyone physically, but you've hurt them enough emotionally that they've just wanted to die. Husbands, how many times have you treated your wives in that way? You're disappointed in her. And yeah, they're not perfect. I mean, my wife has disappointed me at times. Absolutely. But how many times have I let her know it in a way that wasn't healthy and she walked away feeling bad about herself? Wives, how many times have you made your husband feel about that big? You might not be able to do anything to him physically, but man, you can say the words that just cut and make a man feel about that tall. Because we're good at that, aren't we? Using our words to just chop each other down when we're disappointed in each other. And yeah, I've disappointed my wife many times in our marriage. How do we treat each other when it comes to that? The Israelites were disappointed in Moses and Aaron, and we do this to each other. Maybe not to the point of killing each other physically, but yeah, emotionally, we take each other out. It makes us feel better for just a little bit to get over that feeling of disappointment. So God steps in at this point, and he says, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. In verse 11, God says it this way. He says to Moses, how long will these people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and um, disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. God was disappointed with the Israelites. And God said, I'm done with you. I can't take it anymore. And he wanted to kill them all. And God can, because he was the one that created them all. So he's like, I created you, I can kill you. That's the way it works. I'm God, I can do that. So he has that option. He was going to do that. What have you done lately? Where God sets back and says, Devin, man, I'm just so disappointed in you. I know you can do better. What, what have you not done See, here's the case with the Israelites. It's not that they had sinned. It's not that they had done something wrong. It's that God asked them to do something, and they said no. God explained it to them. This is what I want you to do. And they said, no, I'm not going to follow your ways. I'm not going to do it your way, God. I think we've got a better way. We're going to go back to Egypt and be slaves, where you just took us out of. I'm going to go back into that lifestyle. 
just where you brought me out of because I think it's better for us. And God says, no, I've got, I've got some great things for you. And God was disappointed in them because of what they didn't follow through on. I've got one more lesson, I think, in this. One more thing that, that as I look through this, and I might be stretching this one a little. This might be a stretch. I don't, I don't know this exactly. I'm just trying to learn some lessons from this story. But I think this, the last one here, Moses was disappointed with God. Was he disappointed with God? Or I don't know. Maybe I'm going too far with this point, but he sure let God have it. After God said, I'm going to wipe him out, Moses started to beg God. And this is verses 13 through 19. I'm not going to read all of this to you. But here was the conversation. Moses back to God saying, no, God, you can't kill him. No, don't do that. Think of how that would look. You're the God of everyone. And if you take out your own people, the Egyptians are going to say, see, see, I told you so. You can't do it, God. It would defame your name. So Moses begs for pardon for the Israelites. And God says, okay, I won't kill him. Okay, I'll listen to you, Moses. I'm not going to kill him here. I'm just going to send you guys back out into the desert. None of you get to the promised land. I'm just going to take away your reward. And God still was disappointed. So let's look at that. God's disappointment. Maybe you've never thought of God as being disappointed before, but God's disappointment, at least in the story of what we can see, God's disappointment, one, I understand disappointment this way. It's not a sin. To be disappointed in a situation or in someone or in yourself, it's not a sin for you to be disappointed. In fact, I think it's a healthy response to situations where we know we can do better. I think it's a healthy response to the people that you love and care about that that they can do better. And God has given us this feeling within us to say, I want you to feel this disappointment at times because it'll drive you to do better. It's an emotion. It's a gift from God that says if you never feel disappointment, you're never going to grow beyond where you're at. And so it gives this to us to say, learn from this, grow from this feeling of disappointment and see where I can take you. I learned this as well in this story and God's disappointment. God's serious when he tells us to go and he tells us to do something and you don't he's serious about it he's saying come on guys i've asked you to do something i've asked you to stop doing that and i've asked you to start doing this and if you don't stop that and if you don't start that then i'm going to be really upset and he was so upset at these people that he was willing to kill them and in fact he just took away the promise from them because they weren't willing to go. And there was nothing God could do about it. Because they have freedom. They have a choice. He gave them the choice to go or not go. And when they chose not to go, he said, okay, if you're not going to go, I'm not going to let you in. And he was serious about it. But I also know this about my God. He's gracious. He's gracious over and over and over again. His mercies are new to us every morning. And if you're here this morning, you have another chance to continue to follow. You have another chance. He's showing grace to you today by giving you another day and saying, come on, keep going. He is a gracious God that wants to give you chances over and over and over again. So he's gracious. But I get this as well. Disappointment can be a sign of love and belief. He he believed in him. He loved them so much, he was willing to continue to grow. He was willing to continue to give it to their descendants. He was willing to, he wants the best for them. And think of it this way. 
When I get disappointed in my kids, it's because I love them. It's because I care for them. And I know they can do better. If I didn't get disappointed in them when they didn't live up to good expectations or what they could do, if I didn't show any disappointment, if I didn't get disappointed in them, it'd be like I didn't even care. Yeah, I don't care if you fail. I don't care if you pass. I don't care if you do good. Whatever. No, I do care. That's why I want them to grow. That's why I want them to do better. I get disappointed in you guys as a church sometimes. Because I want what's best for you, and I want you to follow this book, and I want you to do the best that you can, and when you don't, I'm thinking, you can do better. Come on, guys. You can do better. I get disappointed in my wife because I, I know what she's capable of, and I care. I, granted, I know it goes the other way, right? When my kids get disappointed in me, I hope they do at times because they want me to be the best dad I can be. My wife should get disappointed in me at times, and I've disappointed her over the years. So yes, it's because she cares and she wants me to be the best. I want you to get disappointed in me at times. Man, that sermon wasn't very good today. He really blew it. I know he can do better. And so pray for me to do better the next week, right? So it's because we care about each other that we want to encourage each other through these times. It can be a sign of love and care and belief in each other. So how do I learn? How do I grow? What do I do in my disappointment? What I've learned about this and how I grow in this and my desire to be more like God, to learn about God is this disappointment. It's not a sin. My disappointment is not a sin, but if I'm not careful, I can sin in my disappointment. I can sin in how I treat others. I can sin in my pride. I can sin in how my disappointment comes out, what other people see in me and what they what I show, what I say. If I don't just take the disappointment and grow from it and disappointment leads to somewhere else, it can lead to a sin. So I have to be careful with this emotion of what God has given towards others. And it leads me to this, that I need to show grace. I need to show grace. I need my kids to know at times that I was disappointed in what they did, but they're not a disappointment to me. I need to show at times to my wife, there are times when, you know, she can do better and I know it, but she's not a disappointment to me. And there's a huge difference between the two. And it's that showing of grace. I know I've been showed grace in my life by many different people. And this can be a sign of love and belief in someone else if I treat them with love and grace through that time period. Disappointment can be a great thing to help us grow. I know this as well. With disappointment, I need to accept God's grace to me. I need to accept his grace, and I also need to work really hard at not disappointing him. What am I doing that I need to stop doing? What what am I not doing that he's asked me to do that I need to start doing? What are the things in your life that you're thinking, you know, I know, I know it's clearly put in this book that I'm supposed to follow him in this, but I haven't been, and I need to do that. What is it that you're, what is it that you're living? What kind of lifestyle are you living? You're like, I know I need to stop that. Are you disappointing God in that? And what is it that you need to change? And maybe for you, it's accepting that grace to begin with. Maybe it's just saying you've, ne- you've never accepted God's grace. You've never taken that step to say thank you for what he's done and to accept that from him. 
If that's you, then I'd love to share that with you. I'd love to tell you more about the grace that God gives and how you can receive it. Um, as we get ready to continue our service, I want to say a prayer for us. And maybe, maybe this is a challenge for you. What do you need to stop? What do you need to start? And maybe your first step is to him. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm grateful for your son, for what he's done for us. I'm grateful for your grace that you continue to show that. God, help us to learn from this emotion you've given us of disappointment and how we can draw closer to you because of it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.